You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. And to honor the reading of God's Word, if you're visiting with us at Meadowbrook, uh, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We believe it is authoritative. We believe that the very pages in this book, the Bible, uh, when we read it, you hear the very voice of the one who spoke the galaxies into existence. <clears throat> We're convinced of that. And so I'd like to turn your attention to Matthew. The words will be on the screen. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a Bible under one of the chairs around you. Take that home with you. That is our gift to you. But we'll be reading Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Those of you who have been here for this sermon series thus far, you probably almost have this memorized now, right? We've been reading this each Sunday. This is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he, that is Jesus, sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. If you are visiting with us, I just wanted to turn your attention to the bulletin that you hopefully received. If you didn't receive one, one of the ushers can get you one, or you can get one on the way out. But there's a connect tear-off thing. Let us know how you found out about us, if you could, please. Uh, And then you could just fold that up and just drop it in the box on your way out the door there. But uh, if any of the uh, bullet items that interest you, if, you're, if you want to meet with me, talk with me, you can indicate that on here. If, if uh, you're thinking about you know, becoming a follower of Jesus, you can indicate that on here. Uh, any prayer requests that you have, you can write that down. We as a staff pray for every prayer request that's submitted uh, on these forms or, our, or also online. And so anyway, so that's, I just wanted to turn your attention to, to that. So we're in this Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take our time working through it. I said at the very beginning, each sermon series that I preach, it's it's my own sermon series. It's it's me, you know, it's what I've, the result is is just my labor in the scriptures, what has come as a result of me just pouring my heart and my life over the scriptures. At, At the very beginning of every sermon series, uh, every sermon that I'm writing, I'm first preaching to my own heart. Uh, you know, as I've worked through the, the, the Beatitudes, this, this first and foremost is a sermon for me. <laughs> uh, I don't feel like I have any business preaching anything unless, unless the Word of God is ministering or has ministered to my own heart. And so I just wanted to say that at the very beginning, especially for those of you who are visiting. Uh, that is just... Man, I, the Word of God uh, means everything to me. 
I honestly really do not believe that I have anything good to offer or say outside of this book. You know, I read a statement, and maybe you've seen it. It's in Cheyenne. It's on a marquee outside of a church that says something to the effect of what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Now, at first I wasn't sure, you know, did somebody just create that? Uh, it's, it's one of those marquees that, that for me is cringeworthy because um, I wonder, well, does the world really need love, sweet love? Isn't there something more deeper than that that the world needs? Uh, I, apparently, I guess it's a song. I, f- I forget the name of this. Maybe it's, that's the name of the song. Uh, but the world needs, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And here's what I want to say. Uh, what the world needs right now is not love, sweet, sweet love. Now, love is good, and that's part of, like, it's part of what we're called to, but what the world needs is peace. That's what the world needs. In a Time magazine piece titled The World's Biggest Problems Are Interconnected, a guy by the name of the author, Justin Worland, suggested that the four problems that are in, interconnected in, in our world, they are the four biggest problems in our world, and he lists them in his, in his article. A lack of global health care is one. Endemic poverty is two. Structural racial discrimination is the third one. And the fourth is the Earth's instability due to climate change that the reason why the world is so upside down, he says, is for those four reasons. The United Nations published their plan to address these problems by the year 2030 and titled their proposed plan, Transforming Our World, the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. This is what they said in their preamble and in, in, the, in their document that's online. You can actually download it if you want to read it. Uh, They say this, this agenda is a plan for action for people, planet, and prosperity. It also seeks to strengthen universal peace and larger freedom. We recognize that uh, eradicating poverty in all of its forms and dimensions, including extreme poverty, is the greatest global challenge and an indispensable requirement for sustainable development. All countries and all stakeholders acting in collaborative partnership will implement this plan. We are resolved to free the human race from the tyranny of poverty and want and to heal and secure our planet. We are determined to take the bold and transformative steps which are urgently needed to shift the world onto a sustainable and resilient path. Now, as you read through their document, they explain that uh, their agenda is world peace, and in that statement, they say, they, they, it's written the, these words, we are determined to foster peaceful, just, and inclusive societies which are free from fear and violence. There can be no sustainable development without peace and no peace without sustainable uh, development. And so I was thinking about that this week. And my thought is this. Poverty, racial uh, tensions and discrimination, and, uh, you know, uh, all the things that they list there have been problems that existed since the garden, <laughs> since Cain killed Abel. And, and the, the solution that governments, politicians, kings, 
people groups, societies have come up with to address the problem have not worked. In fact, the world's solution to, you know, for, for peace is fleeting because it has, come, it, it has not come up with anything that lasts. In fact, the world is at more at war and is more violent because of our striving to, to make world peace a possibility. The world's solution for peace is weak because it is built on the shifting sands of human ideologies. The world's solution for peace is superficial because it only addresses the surface of the problem and not its root cause. What the world really needs is not love, sweet love. What the world needs is a peace that is permeating. It goes deeper than just the surface. It's a peace that was lost in the garden long ago. It's a peace that is known as shalom. It is a holistic peace. It is a peace that is that can't just be experienced without the existence of God. It is a peace that is only possible if the presence of God is, is, is within the person's life or the community. As the New International Dictionary of the Bible describes, peace is the presence of God, not the absence of conflict. That's shalom. Uh, one of the best descriptions I've read of, of shalom is uh, it was written by a guy by the name of Cornelius Plantina. I've quoted him a bunch of times since I've been here as the pastor. But I think it's the best explanation of what shalom is. This is what he said. He said, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation and justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creator in whom he delights, or the creature in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be, but it's not the way things are right now. In fact, sin, he says in his book, sin vandalizes, sin vandalizes shalom. And so this is what I want to do. I just want to unpack what is, what is Jesus talking about here. In, ver, in verse 9, the seventh beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What is, what, what is meant by these words? And so I'll just show my cards and, and the first thing that I think Jesus means here is that the peacemaker is the Christ follower. Now, I use the word Christ follower on purpose because Christ follow, Christian has been so watered down in our culture that if you said a prayer or if you read your Bible at some point in time or if you intellectually say, you know, believe that Jesus, you know, cognitively believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that somehow you are a Christian. But that's not what a Christian is. A Christian is a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, the, that's a Christian. And so a, the peacemaker is the Christ follower. The peacemaker is the person who, uh, as a follower of Christ, he, he, he values peace, he, he or she loves peace, 
But is the peacemaker what our world thinks of a peacemaker? Is the peacemaker a person who keeps peace wherever he or she is at, at all costs? There can be no conflict. There can be no arguments. Is that a peacemaker? Is the peacemaker the person President Jimmy Carter had in mind when he thought of the, the Egyptian president and the Israeli prime minister in uh, 1978? You know, he considered them friends. And despite the religious affiliation after they signed a peace agreement, he uh, addressed Congress and looked at his friends and he said to them, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be the children of God. Is that, is that what, who the peacemaker is that Jesus is referring to? Is the peacemaker the person who serves and protects others? And the answer is no to all those questions. The peacemaker is the person who found his or her hunger and thirst for righteousness satisfied in Jesus Christ. That's the point here. Like I've been trying to show you this to you, that, that the Beatitudes, they, they build upon each, uh, each of the ones that preceded it. So, you know, uh, 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 blessed are the poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? That's the person who arrives at, at, the, at the cross of Jesus Christ with empty hands. I have nothing to bring to the cross of Christ in terms of my own righteousness. I need a righteousness that's not my own. I need Jesus. I am a sinner. I understand that cognitively. And, and, and that understanding drives the person to the cross. Blessed are those who mourn. Who are those who mourn? That's the person who mourns over his or her sin. You grieve over your sin. I have offended a holy God, and there is nothing I can do to remedy my sin problem. So I come to the foot of the cross knowing that Jesus is the one who can be my cure. He is the one who can remedy my problem. And then the third beatitude, blessed are the, the, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not only do you arrive at the cross understanding there is no righteousness that I can bring, not only do you arrive at the cross understanding that, that, I, I, that I can't fix my sin, I grieve over that, I grieve over the plight of our world, but you arrive at the foot of the cross willing, this is so important, willing to submit your will to the will of this God who created you in his image. Those are beatitudes of need. And it's that person who's the Christian. And, and Jesus here, I mean, I, he leaves no room for anything else. And so you arrive at the cross, and, and, and as a result of being poor in spirit, as a result of mourning over your sin, as a result of being meek, that is, bowing your, or submitting your will to the will of God, you, the result of that is a hunger and thirst for a righteousness that can only be satisfied in Jesus Christ. And so He is your life. He is your joy. He becomes your satisfaction. Listen, He becomes your treasure. That is so, that, that runs against the grain of American evangelicalism. That, that runs against the grain of this idea that permeates churches in America especially, that, that as long as Jesus doesn't interfere with my life, I'm okay with him. That he can be my co-pilot, <laughs> he, could be, he could play second fiddle, he can, I, I will tolerate him so long as he doesn't impose his will upon my life. And for that person to call him or herself a Christian does not jive with the Sermon on the Mount. 
This is so, I mean, this is why the church is so sick. I was like, like I, I, I said, you know, I'm deconstructing, not deconstructing my faith, just thinking through what does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be the church? How do we get back to the center? And I'm not talking about a political center. I'm talking about the center as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Christian, I would just encourage you to continue listening to the sermon. Like, we'll get to, you know, your need and how you, how you can find um, and discover the life that God intends for you. But, but how do we get to the center? The center is the Sermon on the Mount. The gospel draws us to the center. The gospel implores us to the center. It, 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 it leads us to the center, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the peacemaker is the person who has been reconciled to God and is now and now has the shalom of God. That's the peacemaker. The peacemaker is the person who the Apostle Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 2. Here's the peacemaker. Let's read this together. This is, ready? Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, sorry, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. If you're a Christian, you, have, you want from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. You want from being a, a hostile to God to being at peace with God. That's, the, that's what Paul describes you know, in, in those verses in Ephesians chapter 2. The only way for anybody to find the peace that we all long so desperately for is for the Prince of Peace to find you. I mean, we see it on Christmas cards, right? Christmas, <laughs> it's what, how many months away? We're going to see this on cards. You know, you'll, you'll see, you know, Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. What, is, what does that mean? What does it mean that we were far off? Think about that. We were far off because we were running from God. We were far off because of a love that we had for a different kingdom that is opposed to the kingdom of God. We were far off because we wanted a God in our own image. We were far off because we wanted a God that we could tolerate. We were far off because we wanted a God who would approve of a lifestyle that he would dare not inconvenience. We were far off because we were dead. 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 That's what it means to be far off. I mean, earlier in chapter 2, Paul even said in Ephesians chapter 2, we were what? Dead in our sins and transgressions. And in, that's the first three verses of chapter 2. And in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like that's what he did. He did that in our lives. And then, and then why did he do it? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
He's doing this work in your life. He's molding and shaping you. And he doesn't play second fiddle. And it's a hard thing to hear. I mean, the think of the significance of Isaiah chapter uh, 9. That's, that's the Prince of Peace passage. Think about the, the words for, you don't have to read this, I just want to point this out to you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Speaking of Jesus, okay? And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Think about the significance of that. It's talking about Jesus, the one whose titles include Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He found you. If you're a Christian, he found you. You were dead. You were running from him. There was nothing in you that wanted him. And he found you. You were dead. Think about that. Dead, dead, dead. And the Prince of Peace found you. He found you. He, 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 and that's, that should be everything to us. It should be everything. It's life. The one who we were told that one day earth and sky will flee away found you. And he didn't send you to hell. He died on a cross. And he took on your hell in your place. He found you. And he didn't leave you as you were. He raised you up. He made you alive. Alive. <laughs> alive in Christ. That's who you are. We're alive. And because he found you, you have shalom. Why do you have shalom? Because you have the presence of God. You have peace. If you're a Christian. If you're not, or if Jesus is just second fiddle, you're probably not a Christian. And you don't have the peace that God intends for you. But if you're a Christian, if you placed your faith and trust in him, if you were poor in spirit, if you were mourning over your sin, and if you submitted your will to the will of this God who sent his son to die in your place, you are a Christian. And the evidence that you are a Christian is that you hunger and you thirst for a righteousness that is not your own. And that hunger and that thirst will never go away. It's just always continually satisfied in Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. I know that our hearts are fickle, and, and I know my own heart, and I know I struggle with sin. It does feel like that waltz I talk about. Like, that's my experience. That's why I use that analogy. Sometimes two steps forward, sometimes one step back, sometimes one step forward, sometimes two steps back. It feels that way in my life. But my appetites have changed. My appetites have changed. I, I don't, I, I'm disgusted by my own sin in a way that I wasn't before I became a Christian. And I hunger for a, a, a righteousness that's not my own. I hunger for, for this one who saved me. He found you. He found me. We have shalom if you're a Christian as a result. And because he found you, you you have God. And the whole reason why each beatitude starts with blessed is because the face of God smiles upon the child of God. And if you're a Christian, you are a child of God. Because he found you, 
you are now a child of God. Which leads me to the second thing that I gleaned from this, from this verse, this beatitude, is that the Christ follower is a child of God. Because you have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, he is your peace. Jesus is your peace. Because, you, because he's your peace, because you've been, you've been born again, because you are a Christian, you are now a member of the family of God. You know what's happening if you're a Christian? You're beginning to take on and look more and more like a member of his family. A member of his family, as a member of his family, you are a son, you are a daughter of the, of the same God that you were once an enemy of. If you are a Christian, you, were, you who once ran from God now follow his son because his way is the way. His way leads to what is true. His way is life for you. I, I love what Tim Keller uh, said, a form, former pastor of Redeemer Fellowship, who was in church that he pastored in Manhattan. He said this. He said, don't come to Christianity because it's relevant, even though it certainly is. Don't adhere and subscribe to Christianity because it's exciting, though it certainly is. Don't give your life to Christ because he will solve your problems, though he certainly will. Don't come to Christ and spread Christianity around because it will solve society's ills, even though it certainly will. Come to Christ because he's true. Come to Christ because he's true. I mean, this is what Jesus calls us to. He calls you to something extraordinary. He calls you into something that this world cannot replicate. Can't even come close to replicating. Jesus calls you to a better way. Jesus calls you to a cross-bearing way. He calls you to a dying-to-self way. He calls you to the, the way that leads to life. And he calls you to the way, that, and it's the only way, where shalom can be truly experienced. It's that way. So what the world needs is not love, sweet love. What the world needs is Jesus. It needs Jesus because that is the only hope of the nations. Hey, I just, on my, this morning, as I was just preparing my, just my, my mind and my heart for, for the sermon, I, I, on my phone was a, a, a news thing, um, you know, on my news feed, and uh, mentioned one of the up-and-coming great threats in our world is some bio-whatever-weapon that can attack the DNA of individuals. I'm like, well, that's science fiction. That's reality, right? Uh, now, apparently. Like, this world, it's like it talks about peace, but all the, it's just the thing that it's really good at is killing people. It talks about valuing life, but the thing that the, our, our world is really great at is devaluing life. The only hope of the nations is Jesus. And we're his, we're, we're his followers. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. Politicians, philosophers, governments, and nations cannot give the peace that people need. Only Jesus can. And that's why he sent you and he sent me into Cheyenne. He sent us into Cheyenne. He sent us into this world to be his ambassador. And, and we don't have time to bicker and argue and 
and talk about stupid stuff like masks and vaccines and when the world is going to hell. And the only remedy for our world is Jesus. A world wants peace, but the only place they'll find it is it's, it's in Jesus. He not only, Jesus not only calls us to something extraordinary, but he also transforms your spiritual death into extraordinary life. I asked you last week, like, how many of you could look back on your life uh, you know, from the moment you placed your faith and trust in Jesus to today, and how many of you have, have been able to see change in your life? And all of you put your hands up. You put your hands up. Why? Because Jesus transforms life. You're not the same person you used to be because of Jesus. Jonathan and I were talking about this this morning, and this was going to be in, um, you know, in, a ser- in the Sermon on the Mount sermon. <laughs> I find it interesting that uh, right after Jesus finishes the Beatitudes, he goes right into the statement that you and I are salt and light in this world. The reality is, I think, the, the reason why maybe the church is sick, maybe the reason why we have not had the type of impact that God has called us to have or expects us to have and has empowered us to have in this world is because we're so busy with dumb stuff that don't, doesn't matter. We go from our office to the garage with no human interaction with people who need the kind of peace that you and I have discovered, the kind of peace that found us. I, I mean, think about this. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. It says, let's read this together. Ready? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's who you are. If you're a Christian, you are a new creation. You know, all that baggage before you're a Christian, that's gone. That's been canceled. You are new. He is doing something new in your life. He is shaping you and molding you. In you is this life. I said, like, just like with, with physical birth, the, the natural reaction of a, of a baby that's, that comes out of the womb besides anger, because <laughs> he or she's cold, is breathing. You know? and, and so new birth results in us breathing. What are we breathing? We breathe in God. We hunger for God. We hunger for a righteousness only Jesus could, can provide. Uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. And then four verses later, in verse 21, let's read this together. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you, Christian, if you're a Christian, you are a new creation and you are the righteousness of God positionally and, and also uh, in your life. You're, 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 you're doing war with your own sin. You have a desire to, to please him. He has given you new appetites because you're a new creation. That's, that's who you are. But do you know what's sandwiched between those, those verses, those three verses in between verse 17 and verse 21? Is this, this statement. I just want you to see this. Go to the next, I think, I, yeah. I just want you to think about this. All this is from God this new creation that's happening in your life, that's happened. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And and what did he do? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making what? 
his appeal through us. Who's he making his appeal to? A world that longs for a peace that it cannot generate on its own. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's you, that's me. That's who we are. If you're a Christian, you are a child of the living God. And all the rights and privileges that go with being a child of the living God are yours. Like no government, no nation, no citizenship can hold a candle to that. Nothing. We're citizens of the God of all creation. You are only a child of God because you had nothing to offer in, in terms of your own righteousness. For you were poor in spirit. You are only a child of God because you grieved over your helpless, sinful state that only Jesus could cure. You are a child of God because you finally humbled yourself to obey the will of, this, of the God of all creation for your life. And now you have a whole new life. You have a whole new life. It's, it's the Christ life. It's the Christ-centered life. It's the new life. It's the new creation life. That's your life. And if you are a Christian, you are now living for him. And because you are living for him, you are now living the peacemaking life. That's the point. Everywhere you go, you represent the kingdom of God. And everywhere you go, you bring the presence of God with you. And the only, the, the only lasting peace that can transform this world is shalom. And the only way this world is going to have shalom is if they have the presence of God. And the only way they're going to have the presence of God is if they have the gospel and they obey it. And the only way they're going to hear the gospel is if you and I tell them. And the only way they're going to see it is they're going to see it in your life and they're going to see it in my life. And it is that child of God that the face of God shines upon. You were once dead, dead, dead. And now you are alive, alive, alive in Christ. And it's all because of Christ. It's all because of Christ. He is your life. He is your life. He is your life if you're a Christian. And Jesus is not content, nor will he settle for being second fiddle. He is not your co-pilot. He's not in the passenger side. He's not in the back seat. Yep, you, somebody remembers what I said. You're in the trunk and he's driving. That's what lordship means. And that's good news. That's good news. That's why I pray that one day in the American church, again, we will experience an awakening and a revival. I said at the beginning of this sermon series, I don't think that will ever happen until the Sermon on the Mount becomes our center where it should be as the church of Jesus Christ. Where, where we will not be content with shuffling decks amongst churches in Cheyenne, calling that church growth, when the reality is, is the church in Cheyenne and in Wyoming is shrinking because we're too busy going from our office to the garage when we've been called to be salt and light in a world 
that is dying and on its way to hell. And so uh, that's my prayer. And I'm right there with you. I'm preaching to myself. Somebody said, you know, remember, if you're pointing your finger at somebody, you have three fingers pointing back at you, right? So I'm pointing the finger at myself too. This world needs the church because the church represents the shalom of God. The church has been called to bring the shalom of God into a world that so desperately needs it because the church is called to be an ambassador of the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, who is our everything. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. God, make us and mold us into the people that you want us to be. Bring revival and an awakening to Meadowbrook Church, and not just Meadowbrook Church, but to Cheyenne Hills and to Element and to Calvary Chapel and to uh, Evangelical Free Church and the Berean Church and every other church in, in, in Cheyenne and even the church with the, with the marquee that says the world needs love, sweet love. Do a work in their midst, God. We need revival amongst the church. Your word says that it's time for the judgment of the Lord to come, and the judgment will come to your people first. And God, I just ask you would just do a work in our lives. Begin it here at Meadowbrook, in our lives. May we humble ourselves before you. And God, if there's anyone in this room who's just been playing lip service to you, if there's anyone in this room who maybe was just basing their salvation on a prayer that they prayed long, a long time ago and nothing more, God, I pray for that person that they, before they leave here, will, will submit their lives to your lordship, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That they will find their righteousness and their hope and their satisfaction in him alone and nothing else. God, do it here. Do it today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.